Welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show, brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Hello and welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim Galante, along with T. Frank Carr. T. Frank, we have been so busy the last couple weeks with so much going on with the news that we stopped our positional analysis several weeks ago. Are you finally ready to pick it back up? Yeah, and it's it's actually probably advantageous for some positions that we didn't get to them until after spring. So a little bit of change here with some of the stuff we're going to be talking about as opposed to where we would have originally. Exactly. I understand the point you make, and we are going to we have left to do the defensive backs and the linebackers. So first and second quarter, let's do the DBs. Fourth quarter, we could get to the linebackers. And why don't we start with the cornerbacks? Because I think you're alluding to this. If we had done this prior to the end of spring, we would have been talking about Storm Duck as part of this equation. He no longer is. And I'll tell you what, that does, it, it does hurt the depth at that position. Yes, and Penn State has made it clear they want to play with three defensive backs during the season. Um, Attrition is real at every position. Injuries are a thing. But even then, it's not just about starting two. It's about having uh, three different players that they can go to for a number of reasons, not just for keeping players fresh, but also for diversity, you know, having guys that are good at different things and having players that can slide into the slot and play on the Prowler package on third down and all those different availabilities at corner having three guys that are your primary corners is important so now you're going to uh cam miller sophomore cam miller as the next guy he's good from all accounts it's been very little about that we've actually seen on film of what he is and isn't good at i know he's very athletic coming out of high school that was his calling card and he's been a guy that's worked very hard to be a part of special teams and be a part of the uh the general overall team during his first year and a half on campus. Uh, But without Storm Duck, you don't have a veteran presence in that too deep. And that is um, not a huge issue considering Johnny Dixon and and Kalen King are as good as they are. I think King uh, is clearly a top pick, but Johnny Dixon also an NFL corner, NFL feet, NFL abilities, um, maybe behind Joey Porter Jr. and Kalen King in overall talent, but still having two guys out there is really important. It's really what happens after those three, where before Cam Miller was the guy that was going to step in. Now it's a true freshman that you're looking at in Elliott Washington, most likely, and uh, Lamont Payne in the conversation as well, who I thought did some really good things during the spring game. So um, th- that's the issue, and I don't. that's not going to be changed by the portal no matter who they bring in. Well, maybe I shouldn't say that. Not no matter, but it'd be hard for them to change the the too deep right now with a new player if they pick somebody up in May. The the dynamic of the portal has changed from after the season to after the spring. Now the players who are going into the portal, they're not getting there because they need a change of scenery, a change of NIL, they want to upgrade from the level of team they're on, it's now the guys who went through the spring and found out, hey, I'm not where I want to be on my team's roster. I'm second or third team. 
I want to go elsewhere and play. By the nature of that, they're probably not elite players that, that are coming into the portal. Let's go back to the top of top rung here, which is Kalen King. A year ago, you had the pecking order. It was Joey Porter, Kalen King, and then Johnny Dixon. Now, with the graduation of Joey Porter to the NFL, everybody moves up one rung. Kalen King is a very capable number one. But he's different how he plays the position than Joey Porter Jr., isn't he? He is, um, and I don't know that it's a bad thing. Uh, Joey, super aggressive, long, played press coverage, um, and, and there was, I don't want to say hit or miss and boom or bust, but there were times where players got away from him. Now, <laughs> Kalen King had times where players got away from him, but it was really just Marvin Harrison Jr. that got away from him. And, uh, you know, somebody who's probably going to be a top five pick in the draft next year, that's that's understandable. But Kalen King, I don't think, is very far behind him. In terms of overall skill for the position, I keep saying this. Like I, I, I told Jaquan Brisker, he's the best defensive back I've ever seen play at Penn State. And in short order, Kalen King is going to replace him in that in that spot. Because and, and this is to me, this is something that's important to point out, not just to say like, hey, these guys are really good, but also Penn State has not traditionally had these players that are second round picks, would be first round picks in the NFL draft. So when I say that Kalen King is most likely the best defensive back that Penn State has ever had, that means that's that's saying something that is that is the top of a pile that uh, top of a heap that while it does not have a long and storied history of producing superstars. He is the, it is notable to say that he's, here we go again, should be a first round corner. <laughs> yeah. Feet, positional skills. Uh, and here, I, I shouldn't just say these things because for some people, they're like, what do you mean by feet? He can run and he has the foot quickness to stay with anybody in man coverage. He has the hips to transition left, right, front to back to run in any direction without losing momentum and fluidity to cover defensive backs. Um, there are times that he lunges a little bit in press coverage. He's not the biggest guy in the world, but he's got amazing recovery speed and positionally confidence for days. He's got that persona, that personality at the position to make him a number one corner. Um, and, and that is, I think, for people that look at kind of the advanced data, his ability in press coverage last year when teams were not throwing at Joey Porter Jr. After the first game, there was a while that teams just gave up on throwing at Joey Porter Jr. And what happens is the other players get targets then. And Kalen King, his productivity when, uh, when targeted in man coverage was the best in the country or was in the top three in the country, according to PFF, in terms of man coverage and plays on the ball. So that ability, getting to the ball, breaking up passes, getting interceptions, he's good at that thing, which translates into superstardom. I would be, I would say I would be disappointed if he was not an All-American corner this year. And he's getting enough play early, which unfortunately that's part of the equation in college football. Are you getting the publicity? You see some of those first-round projections for next year, and Day or I'm sorry, Kalen King's name is out there. So yep. I, I think, he, you know, unless he doesn't perform, you're going to see him making those All-American teams. 
Johnny Dixon as the number two. It's interesting, his history. He came over as a transfer. When he first came in, I was wondering, why? Did Penn State really yeah. need this? It seemed like extra depth. And he proved himself as a depth piece. Now he's going to prove himself as a starter. I have no doubt. Do you give me the scouting report on Johnny Dixon? It's similar to that of Kalen King, truthfully, in terms of watching him at South Carolina when, when Penn State recruited him. Um, this is, is very early, I guess, in the formation of like assumption about what Penn State tries to do in the transfer portal. Because before, they had primarily targeted players that were immediate impact players. Arnold Ebkidi type starters or John John Lovett when you need a a running back depth piece that is absolutely going to play um Johnny Dixon was different where he was not ready to play per se he had played in the SEC but he had not really been a full-time starter but when when you look at his skills from the very first time you turn on the tape you go that guy has talent um and to be able to get that guy and have him in your system and have him produced now for three years is incredibly Smart. It's great foresight by Terry Smith to try and and stock your room with a lot of talent, even when you don't necessarily quote need it for that year. And uh, from a from a tools perspective, he has the same amount of skills I'd say as Kalen King. He's a little bit taller, a little bit longer, but not quite that. Uh, and I hate using the word intangible, but intangibles at the position. His overall productivity productivity gives up more passes maybe doesn't have the great ball skills at the catch point but from a from a running and turning and speed perspective kind of the basis of the position he's he's an exceptional athlete and a guy that uh I think when you think about the the bar that's been set the threshold that Joey Porter Jr. and Kalen King have created the position he easily clears that and is among that group so that is something that Penn State fans should be happy about that you know, last year these two guys were were fighting and, and were a part of this dual starter at the cornerback role, and you saw what happened with them late in the season when they both had to play. There was no drop-off in the ability. So that's what I expect for this fall is more of that, <laughs> if not better, because they're more experienced, smarter, a year older in the system. Okay, now we need to talk about Daquan Hardy who I think in 21 had a great season. It seemed like there were some issues in 22 with last year with him. Is he, is, will he change roles or is he the slot guy? So that's an interesting question. I think when it comes to what you're expecting from this cornerback group and some of the things we started with of the lack of depth, I think that's one area where you can say Daquan Hardy helps the situation. Um, he's been calling, I think, a little bit for a while, wanting more to do in the defense and not just being a third down guy. So if you do need him, if Elliot Washington isn't prepared to play this fall, Daquan Hardy can play on the outside. He doesn't have to be just a slot player. Um, but when it comes to the slot, his journey last year and the way that it, it was a little bit rough to start for sure, and then how they had to change how they used him late in the year, I think... That's an area I want to see more of because there were indications during the blue-white game that he looked more confident, he looked more like himself. And confidence is such an important thing in football in general, but at corner, it's really important because you, a lot of times, are the last line of defense in this defense where there's 
maybe there isn't a safety or maybe he's shaded to the other side of the field. You need to be able to have the confidence that in the slot you can play a guy who has a two-way go and you're fast enough, you're talented enough to stop that guy from catching the football. He looked dialed in during the blue-white game. I want to see if that's the case. I want to see a little more during the spring, or I'm sorry, during the uh, fall camp and then the first month of the season. Because if he is, that does change what they can do on defense, where you have that pure cover guy in, in Daquan Hardy who has probably, I keep talking about feet, like I'm trying to sell you shoes or something, but he probably has the best feet of any of these guys. He is lightning quick. And if you have that, I know that Manny Diaz uh, is creative enough to come up with different ways to, uh, you know, take advantage of his player skills, and that's a huge one to have that in slot. Very good. Uh, T. Frank, that's going to have to be the last word on quarter number one. Stick around. Quarter number two, we're going to hit the other part of the defensive backfield, and that's the safeties. A lot of interesting stuff there. I'm looking forward to what T. Frank has to say. Stay tuned. Hey, guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. It's quarter number two on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. He's T. Frank. I'm Jim. We're doing our positional reviews. We're dealing with the defensive backs first. We did the cornerbacks in quarter number one. We are going to hit the safeties. Before we get there, though, T. Frank, I've got to share with our listeners, who I'm assuming are pretty much all Penn State fans, that you, my friend, are wearing a Utah Utes top there. (laughs) Listen, I cannot wear this anywhere without someone saying something about it. I... I have I have coworkers that wear all kinds of sports paraphernalia. You wear one pullover uh, for a team that y- you pl- your the team you're covering played in the Rose Bowl, and somebody's got to say something about it. it. I've said this before. My wife went to Utah. She is a Utah Utes alum. We went out there, and uh, her father 
my father-in-law bought us stuff at the Utah Utes store, you know, like the bookstore for Utah. And I don't know if you know this or not, Jim, but sometimes you do things so that your father-in-law will like you. Also, this is a very super comfortable pullover. I, I don't have a whole lot of clothes. Like, I'm a very simple person. So I'm going to wear this. And people, like, if you, if, if you, uh, if you see me wearing it, I, I, tough. there's no such thing as rooting for me. I don't root for anything. <laughs> Except the I Buffalo root for Bills. I root for me to have a happy marriage and a good relationship <laughs> with my in-laws. Okay, and I look does, good in it, okay? A, That's the other thing. It makes my traps look huge. Well, it's it is a good looking it's a pullover with the zip going. It, it's a good look T Frank, and you carry it well. You you do. All Thank right. You. Let's t- <laughs> let's talk about safeties. An interesting position, T Frank. It feels like cornerback is a little better defined that pecking order. It would be mm-hmm. nice to have one more depth piece, but at least we kind of know where it's at. Safety, I feel like there's a lot of talent there and a lot of guys, but I'm just not quite sure that pecking order at the safety position. But I, I don't think I'll, you need to I'll, be. I'll, yeah, well, I don't think you okay, need to be. That, I think... That's why you're the expert here to, sh- to tell us that. I mean, I'm... Let's start with Keaton Ellis, though. He's yeah. the veteran. He's the guy who was named a captain. I'm assuming that means he'll be one of the lead guys. Yeah. Uh, he is, I think, the guy you start with. Now, throughout this conversation, I think most people that, that again, most people that listen are Penn State fans, so they're going to know the names that are going to, like, garner excitement. Keaton Ellis has not been that guy at this position. Um, that doesn't mean he isn't good, and that doesn't mean that he isn't in line to have a very good season. Um, he's a veteran player that's had some injury problems and, and luck while he's transitioned to the safety role. And there's been some holes in his game he's had to work on. And from what I saw, again, this is always the thing, during the blue-white game, he was on the field quite a bit. He was quite active. And despite the fact that the blue team wasn't, you know, defensively, they didn't have a lot of snaps because they kept forcing three and outs. I thought he looked good. He looked decisive. He came downhill. He attacked players. He didn't have to, uh, you know, uh, always wrap up and tackle with the quarterback specifically, but I thought he was effective in his role. Um, The thing that has been tough for me is last season they played field and boundary in terms of who's playing what position, Um, and Keaton was a field safety. But I saw him playing in the TIG role during the blue-white game, which is more on the boundary, um, and, and playing closer to the line of scrimmage and being more active in underneath coverage. But J- Jalen Reed wasn't in the game. He was not participating. He was in sweats on the sideline. So are they going to be even more vague with their definitions, where last year TIG would play both sides of the ball, sometimes they would mix and match, but it would be by series. Or are these guys going to have more clearly defined roles? Like Zaki Wheelie, is he always going to be a free safety? Because that's really where his skills reside in terms of reading, reacting, and then running to the football. Or is it going to be kind of like split throughout the roster? If some guys have defined, some guys can play both. That's going to be something we have to figure out. And it's, it's, it's maddening for me because I like to have a rule. I like to understand something and then take that as a fact so that I can cross that off the list of things I have to look at on every single play. But Manny Diaz uh, likes to torture quarterbacks so that, uh, you know, they're not going to make anything easy and defined. 
And that, to me, is, is part of the interesting conversation. But the players that will play, all four of the players are going to play. But back to Keaton Ellis, uh, his role and his, um, his, his productivity is going to be determined by how well he plays because all four of these guys can play. And if there's a dip in, pro- if there's a dip in production, I know he's the starter, but I would believe that they will play the best players and not just play the seniors. He's got – I'm not saying that he's, he's not as good as the other players – in terms of what he knows, but his physical skill set is, is less than those guys. So he's been on uh, upset watch for a year and a half now, and he still maintained his position. So uh, he's the lead safety for sure, but what we know about this whole situation and how the, it's all set up through that whole rambling answer, there's still a lot to be determined about how they're going to be used this fall. Okay, well, let's talk then Jalen Reed and Zaki Wheatley. Um, mm-hmm. Compare and contrast for me. Jalen Reed is, is kind of an underneath safety guy, even when he started as a freshman, or I believe it was his freshman year where uh, 2021 he had some packages where he would come in on third down and be an underneath defender. So he's going to be, from my, from my view and my opinion, he is much more of a boundary safety that plays near the line of scrimmage. He would be a guy that plays an underneath coverage on third down. I wouldn't put him in, in a deep half or a deep third too much because when he struggled last year, that's where he struggled, was in zone coverage and, and reading and reacting to the different situations you come up against when you are over the slot. Because that's the other thing about safeties is they are either in a zone coverage or they're over the slot in man coverage or they're in a defense that dictates it turns essentially into man coverage. Uh, depending on the formation and the number of receivers on your side of the football field. And those are the areas that he struggled last year. So there's always room for development, and there's always room for these guys to get smarter and and play faster through that. But his skill set was much more hit, run, chase, more than it was diagnose and attack. Um, And then Zaki Wheatley on the other side is the exact opposite, where he is a diagnose gamble sometimes, but make plays on the football. I think he's got the frame to be a solid run defender, but is not really part of his DNA to be like an enforcer in the run game. So that's kind of where he is as a, as a hybrid long corner free safety that is much more in line with the traditional sense of what a free safety in this defense is like. And kind of a prototype of the position in terms of instincts and length and ball skills. So uh, potential breakout candidate for sure this year. The wild card in all this is K.J. Winston. So much conversation about him during the spring. He did some real nice things in the spring game. How does he fit in? <laughs> uh, the, well, the, the one thing I had wondered, you know, kind of watching him is, and this is the problem, is like when, when you start scouting a player his junior season in high school, and if you hold on to preconceived notions, you have a chance to miss the information as it develops. And one of the things that was in his profile was he's, he's smart, he's fluid, but I didn't know how fast he was early in his career. Well, that's over. Like, uh, there was, if you saw on Instagram, Daquan Hardy was bragging about his 40 time uh, and accidentally posted, or intentionally, I don't know, posted everybody's 40 time from, from the spring. And K.J. Winston ran a 4-4-3. So at 210 pounds running a 4-4-3, Theoretically, he can do everything, everything he he should be able to do. But again, it comes back to what are your instincts? What are your recognition skills 
and ball skills as a football player. So is he a complete safety that plays at all three levels of the defense? Can you deploy him in a creative, multiple way? Yes, based on his physical skills, you absolutely can. But we've had a small window, and I don't want to extrapolate too much to say he can be the guy that is, you know, the superstar at the position. But physically, he's the guy that can be a superstar at the position. What we do know about him is that he likes to hit, and he's effective at it. He was a run game eraser during the blue-white game. There were several times I was watching the film, and I pointed this out during some of my stuff at Blue White Illustrated, you know, coming out afterwards, that he was fixing problems in the run game for the white team and tackling guys like Nick Singleton in the flat when he had no business being there. Like, he was an extra defender who was reading the play and getting there faster than the linebacker who was late diagnosing. So his ability to trigger downhill and to fix problems in the run game. It's similar in a way to what Jaquan Brisker did for Penn State in 2021 when they needed to stuff the box because they were bad at stopping the run, except K.J. Winston is doing it in a defense that doesn't have necessarily a fundamental flaw like that. Like, they're decent at stopping the run. So I know we talk about defensive tackle and Michigan and all of these just deep emotional wounds for Penn State fans. K.J. Winston might be able to fix a lot of those problems just by being an extra box defender, being a guy that can attack in a race and will wrap up and has, has really no flaws in terms of his, his length, his arm length, his speed, his strength, his size. That is a def- definite thing. I am expecting him to be a major factor in the run game this year. What he is outside of that, how much more he brings to the defense in terms of making plays, I think that's where we'll find out more about what he can do. I like your analysis of K.J. Winston. I like a guy who has speed. As you pointed out, he has speed. But what I like even more, T. Frank, is reaction time. And when you said he was covering up some of the issues, he got there quickly, not just because he was fast, but because he he diagnosed things quickly. And it was something I noticed with Abdul Carter. Yes, he's a freak athlete, but it was also his reaction time. He knew when to take off. And uh, that was an important part of it. Does Tyrese Mills have any role here? I don't know. <laughs> we just went through four guys that have legitimate <laughs> talent. The, the, the second two guys, the younger players, the Key Wheatley and, and KJ Winston, have superstar potential and fit really well together in terms of how they play in uh, contrasting styles that create that yin and yang. Tyrese Mills is a total wild card because he was a linebacker last year. Injuries prevented him from being anything, and now he's heading into his next year going back to safety. So is that, necess- is that necess- necessitated by the defensive uh, depth chart last year, or is that necessitated by his speed and his physical skills? Because if he's closer to a box linebacker than a safety, then he is significantly farther behind the guys that have a more well-rounded profile ahead of him. Or was it that that's what Penn State needed last year and it just didn't work out because he was injured. So I, I'm putting a whole wait and see. Like, I got, I got nothing to tell you about what, what I expected of Tyrese Mills. I will say from his, uh, his profile, he is a closer to line of scrimmage player. Blitzing, underneath coverage, some man coverage, stuff like that. Very good, T. Frank. That's it for the DBs. Next, we're going to ask T. Frank. Stay tuned for that. Hey guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new Coffee Barbecue Dry Rub Set. 
Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. Let's get back to the action on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. And welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number three. That means it's time to ask T. Frank. That's T. Frank Carr. I'm Jim Galante. And we are taking your questions. This is where... You download our app, Keystone Sports. You'll see the Ask T. Frank button. You hit it, and we could be asking your question. And the great thing about it, at the end of the segment, T. Frank's going to pick out his favorite question, and that guy is, is going to win the 409 Tailgate Club prize pack. Okay, let's start with David in Lancaster, who says, The NFL draft shows the disparity in positional value between defensive end and linebacker. As Abdul Carter adds weight, is there any chance he moves to defensive end, both for impact at Penn State and his NFL prospects? I'm assuming uh, that if you're asking the question, you want him to. Penn State has five defensive ends that can start in the Big Ten. They don't need more defensive ends. They might need more defensive ends next year when some of these guys go to the NFL, but you still got... I mean, Vanover and Zariah Fisher and Denine Dennis Sutton behind those guys. I agree that keeping up the quality at defensive end is important, but this defense has luxury. They have options, and having Abdul Carter play linebacker is a luxury and an option, and when you have an elite player in college, it does translate differently than it does in the NFL. Um, And I would say that you know having an elite linebacker in the NFL is worth it, It's just harder to find the guys that can do it. And this is what I mean. You need to be able to play in coverage, have great instincts, defeat RPOs by not biting on plays, and have the size and athleticism to stop the run when you can't key on it. You can't uh, aggressively attack the line of scrimmage because anytime you do, you're, you're at the mercy of the RPO, of the quarterback pulling the ball and throwing it right over your ear hole. So a guy who's 249 pounds and runs like we talk about with Abdul Carter, he might be a guy that is valuable at linebacker. The NFL draft is not a 
a homogenous thing either. There are teams that are that are bad at the game. The Houston Texans are bad at the game. And when, when I talk about Juice Grogs going in the second round and trading up for him, and people take offense to me saying that Juice Grogs isn't worth that pick, it's not about Juice. He's a starter in the NFL. I've been all offseason stumping the table. He's a starter. But value for the position and the player is different than the evaluation of the player. And certain teams don't care about that. They don't care about the positional value. They don't care about those things. Jack Campbell went in the first round to the Detroit Lions. So there are, there are teams that are willing to ignore all of our information and our analytics and the film, truthfully, to just go and take a stab at a guy that they think can solve the problem. And their convictions on those uh, players will either be right or wrong, and then we will retroactively grade what they did. Um, and, and what we do at the front end is saying, hey, it's really risky. Linebacker is really hard. The NFL effectively wants to destroy them on every single play. The second level of the defense is the area that you target and you eviscerate more in the passing game than others right now, especially with the, the Shanahan system proliferating through half of the NFL. But if, if somebody thinks that Abdul Carter is the guy that solves that problem, you bet your ass he's going in the first round. Um, so for Penn State, the value of him playing linebacker and blitzing is, is incredibly important. Some of his best plays from last year came when the system that Manny Diaz created, the play he created, got Abdul Carter, 240 pounds, one-on-one with a running back in the A-gap, immediate pressure. So if you move him to defensive end, you remove some of that ability to create mismatches and things like that. I, I think that it's – I understand the question, but I think the question – I, I think that the, the, the thought process behind another defensive end, don't do what we did with Micah Parsons sort of thing, is kind of missing the point of you have, at this point, so many good pass rushers that you don't need to put them at defensive end right now. Like, if something terrible happens next year, you can have that conversation. But I don't foresee that. Let's go to Randy in Dallas, PA. What kind of film study do you do during the offseason? Do you ever go back to watch Penn State games from last season, and have you learned anything new? That is something I should do more, Randy. Um, and I will freely admit that that's an area where I need to do better. I have a hard time sometimes of – it's like rereading a book. Um, but that is absolutely something that there's value because you can't pick everything up the first time, second time, or third time. And a lot of uh, – you know during the season, it's a very compressed situation where I'm trying to understand what happened and why and not necessarily going into – all of the details. But the problem is, Randy, that right now I'm doing film analysis on high school prospects. Some of them, which will never play at Penn State, but they're on Penn State's radar. So I need to have at least a cursory knowledge of all of these players. And, you know, in fully behind the curtain, I also have to produce a certain number of articles and content each month for my employer. So I don't have all the free time in the world to just go back and do film analysis the way I should. Now, all of that is to say that's a cop-out. I can also do a better job of going back and watching that film, which is something I'm going to put on my list, uh, Randy. So thank you for, for bringing that up. That is actually something that's been on my mind for a while. But yeah, what I'm doing right now is film analysis of Penn State's commits so that I can have an intelligent conversation with you about them and, and also looking at um, guys that maybe will commit to Penn State but haven't made that decision yet and trying to 
at least in my mind, rank where they should be and who should be a Nittany Lion and who shouldn't based on Penn State's criteria that they've shown over time about what they're looking for in prospects. On the other hand, T. Frank, I do have some time because I don't have a life. I love watching the the Big Ten's game, those 60-minute games. So you could watch, yeah. but watch something specific. You know, I'll, I'll really focus on the offensive line or the defensive line. The stuff you don't, you know, you watch the ball when you're watching the game. Not that you yeah. want my scouting analysis, but hopefully uh, picking something up. All right. I'm dying to hear your answer to this question, T. Frank. Pat from Cheshire, Connecticut says, with the amount of money a home playoff game can generate for the school and town, would a team ever consider aiming for playoff spots 5 through 8 versus spots 1 through 4? For example, throwing the conference championship game so that you could get a home playoff game. No, because Pat Kraft doesn't call plays. And I don't care. I do not care who you are. If you have the opportunity to have a higher seed and an easier path to the championship, which will get you more money, more fame, more recognition, more TV time, you're doing that. I, I think it is a very creative and thought-provoking question. It's just kind of like the same thing like in the NFL where throwing games late in the season. The players aren't throwing the game. The coaches aren't throwing the game. But if the general manager does not give you the players in order to perform to the standard to which you want, then yeah, that does throw the game institutionally to a certain degree. But the players on the football field will always try to win the game. There are only a few rare instances where that doesn't happen. And I know you're going to talk about the Philadelphia Eagles and that did happen. And it did work out for them, by the way, it's compulsive Com competition and winning is compulsive for these people. And I, I think that it's not something that you would see many teams doing that are good, good teams. Well, First of all, you answered the question perfectly. Nobody's going to throw games. You're not going to uh, get James Franklin to hurt his chances at a national championship. But to approach this from the financial perspective, which is what Pat is saying, mm -hmm. hey, you know, you make more money by having that home playoff game. No doubt. I yeah. counter to that, though, is there is talk of changing how they split the money up. So, like, in the Southeast Conference— Alabama doesn't want Vanderbilt to get the same amount of money as they do for participating in the playoffs and doing that even split. So there's talk of changing, especially with this 12 teams. And if you're a team, you know, like Texas and Oklahoma joining the Southeast Conference, teams want to be rewarded for getting into the playoffs. And I think that there's talk of changing how that TV revenue happens. So yeah. you might not, it may not be necessarily that great financial advantage to finish lower and get the home playoff game. Isn't I it think great? it would be great. It, it's just so predictable that you have this system that creates at least within each conference equity, uh, you know, an equal playing field, whether it is or not from an overall standpoint, at least the money is the same so that Rutgers in Maryland get the same as Ohio state and Michigan in terms of, of TV revenue. And there's already a system in place or, or there's already a system in development where even within the conference, the haves and have nots are going to separate themselves and they're going to change the way that the, uh, the system works so that you get more money if you already are successful. Like it's not, I sh you shouldn't be surprised, but every once in a while I just stop and I, I, I look at the, uh, um, I don't, 
I don't want to say greed or whatever it is, but just the 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 tendencies of these companies and these these businesses because that's what they are to cannibalize their own system, their own system of this is how you create uh, an equal playing field and interesting games so that Maryland, and I, I'm sorry, I keep picking on Maryland, so that Vanderbilt maybe someday in some situation could build themselves into a place where they could be competitive. But that's not what Georgia wants, and that's not what Alabama wants. They want the easiest path to the championship, and they want to keep all the money. So I, I don't know. Well, maybe that's the- just me being cynical here in the moment, but I... I'm not surprised to hear that. It is you being cynical in the moment. I'll give the counterpoint to that, which is look at Major League Baseball where there's shared revenues, and what you have are teams like the Pirates who just take that shared revenue, and the Oakland A's, they don't try to compete. They just pocket the money, and they're not even trying. They're not spending money to compete like other teams are, and those other teams who are investing in their teams want to be rewarded for it. So Vanderbilt... Does Vanderbilt really deserve to be rewarded like the other schools in the Southeast Conference that are putting money into their football program, investing in it to create a winner? So why are we going to the worst possible comparison and example in in pro sports where there really is no effective salary floor and that teams violate it all the time? There's, you know, like there is a soft cap in baseball now and there's there's supposed to be a floor, but nobody enforces it. So, yeah, of course, uh, in in that situation. But if we look at a different one, like, uh, you know, again, sorry to always go back to the thing I love the most, but the NFL, there's a there's a there's an equal playing field and your level of incompetence determines your place in the pecking order. The Houston Texans and the Cleveland Browns are bad franchises. They're run poorly by bad owners who interfere and hire bad management, and they get what they deserve. Good teams that hire good management with good owners and they manage the situation in the even playing field, you get to you get the, the rewards of that. And in college football, you should be building towards that, not baseball. And, and, and I think that that's just... That, that's to me obvious and your Houston Texans and Cleveland Browns who are run terribly still get the, an even split of the revenues all right yep. T Frank that's it for quarter number three as we got off the rails stick around quarter four we'll name a winner hey guys this is Andrew from 409 tailgate club here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set over the years we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends low in sodium and feature happy valley's finest coffee wc clark's roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown state college so head on over to 409 tailgateclub.com grab yourself some coffee rubs and remember always tailgate with honor we are Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to KeystoneSportsNetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's KeystoneSportsNetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com 
for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. We head to the home stretch in quarter number four on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. And welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. He is T. Frank. I'm Jim. It's quarter number four. If you were listening at the end of quarter number three and we kind of got off the rails with our discussion... Well, between segments, we just kept going with that conversation, and it's it's an interesting one. We got into all of sports. We even got into widget making. So, T. Frank, with that with that said, how about we get a winner from uh, your Ask T. Frank segment? Yeah, ironically, it's not going to be the guy that asked the question the third of that conversation. It's a <laughs> uh, Randy <laughs> in Dallas, going back to watch games, I think that's uh, – our, our winner for this week, just because it brought up an interesting topic that doesn't necessarily, um, you, you don't, it's always about what's next, right? It's never about actually going back and learning something and going back and do, it's always about what's next. What's the new thing? What's the fresh thing? I already saw that other thing. Why do I care? But there is value in that. So I think Randy makes a great uh, point in his question. So we're going to go with him as the winner. Very good. We'll be getting in touch with you, Randy. All right, quarter number four. Let's get to what we're supposed to talk about, T. Frank, and that's the linebackers. And I know I've asked you this question before, but I think it's worth putting out there again real quick before we get into the linebacker discussion, the personnel. They are labeled Sam, Mike, Will. There Mm -hmm. was a day when it was the strong side, the middle linebacker, weak side linebacker. Sam, Mike, Will. Quick explanation. Mm. What do those positions mean? Let's start with the most uh, vague of them, which is the Sam position, otherwise known as the field backer, which is the college football field is divided unevenly thanks to the hashes. So there are dramatic differences in the short side and the long side of the field, depending on where the ball is placed between the hashes. So the field backer or the Sam is the guy that plays out in space more often. He's a quasi-safety that plays um, a little bit of run, a little bit of pass. I think, personally, I think it's one of the hardest positions in football to actually execute your assignment. If what you are there is to be is a deterrent in the passing game, that's fine, you know, to prevent swing passes and screens. But to actually cover that ground in certain coverages. So, for example, cover three. The safety and the two corners are responsible for the deep thirds of the field, meaning the field linebacker is responsible for from the sideline into his certain position. So that means he might have 25 yards he has to cover at, at certain times. And if somebody catches the ball under 10 yards, that's his responsibility. And functionally, that might be impossible for him to ever execute that job. But that is his job. And that's why it's kind of a quasi-starter position because in third down, you bring in an actual defensive back to manage that area. And then you have his responsibilities in the run game, which are on the edge of the box, maybe the A gap or the the C gap or sometimes the B gap, depending on your gap exchanging. So he's got a little bit of a twilight role between two areas. The will linebacker um, is a playmaking position. 
it is a position on the short side of the field where maybe, I don't want to call him an extra defender on that side, but you've got a compressed area to cover, so you have a little more latitude to do some creative stuff, which is why the Will linebacker can cover, he can blitz, and he also has traditional box responsibility of he's got uh, maybe an A gap or a B gap, and that is you know between the center and the guards, pure run responsibilities, um, but doesn't have as much stress on him as maybe the field linebacker does. Now, that's not to say that he doesn't have responsibilities as well. An area where I think Abdul Carter can improve is just, for example, during the blue-white game, some motions and some shifts put Abdul Carter in a zone where he could have broken up a pass once or twice to Malik McLean that Bo Perbula threw right over his ear, but the run responsibilities and play action and some other reasons prevented him from seeing, diagnosing, and breaking up a pass. Um, it's a minor thing, but it is an area where you talk about areas of growth for a player like that. At the will position, you have to be aware of those sort of things. And then the Mike position is more of the pure old school football position where run responsibility is first, getting everyone uh, IDing the front, getting everyone aligned properly, and playing an A gap, playing uh, downhill, and then having select responsibilities either in traditional zone coverages or as a spy. In the defense, generally, that's what you do with your Mike linebacker. Blitzing is also a big thing for Manny Diaz in this defense. So those are the kind of the responsibilities of each position. Okay, uh, let's get to this. On third down, what happens when you take a linebacker out? And which we know who these the people are: Curtis Jacobs yep. at the Sam, Abdul Carter at the Will, Tyler Elston, and Kobe King share that middle linebacker position. Third down, and you take a linebacker out. Who do you take out, and what happens? Well, you can take as many off the field as you want. That's the that's the thing. So in the in the NFL, there's somebody that has a radio in their helmet, and they can talk to the sideline. And a college doesn't have that, so you don't need to keep one guy on the field with that responsibility. Uh, but you do want to have one guy that is the voice everyone listens to. So typically, typically, you don't take your middle linebacker off the field, even though he might be the weakest in coverage. But with Penn State's flexibility of positions, you can move Abdul Carter over to that position. And then Curtis Jacobs comes from the Sam playing his run pass responsibilities and moves over into the box to play the the will position. So then you've got your two guys there and you take the Sam linebacker off the field. That's why the, the Sam is looked at as put a freshman there and they can learn if they're good enough because it's a it's a quasi starter position. It's not a full time starter position where the other two are the full-time starter positions. But if you then reduce it further to say you want to go to dime defense, which is more defensive backs, and you have one linebacker, Penn State has the choice then. Who's going to be left on the field? Sometimes teams leave the will because he's the better athlete, and sometimes most teams leave the mic because they want to have that stable centrifuge around which the defense spins. Um, so that's kind of your decision. That's where you can get creative with personnel sub packages and with, uh, you know, personnel talent and what they can do. That is, uh, where Penn state is going to make the most decisions about this linebacker core that are going to be creative and different and, or they're going to be the same. That's the other thing is like Manny Diaz may not want to remove his Mike linebacker regularly because he wants Kobe King or Tyler Elston on the field doing what they have been doing, but there are options for that with the flexibility of these guys specifically in this defense and how it can operate next fall. I would think they would often want to have Curtis Jacobs and Abdul Carter stay on the field because they're your two best linebackers. So if there, there's a way to do that. Uh, the question a lot of us have, though, now is you 
Tony Rojas, the mm-hmm. freshman coming in. The uh, What we kept hearing was he was underweight coming in. Boy, if he could only put on like 29 pounds, he's going to be a heck of a player. He put on 29 pounds very quickly. So yeah. where does he fit? What's his role? How do they get him in the game? He went from a guy that was a project this year for a couple of reasons I'll dip into to a guy that can play this fall because he showed what he needed to this spring. You mentioned the weight gain. But the other thing is he came from defensive end. So we talk about what I just described with the Sam linebacker. If you're a quasi-safety, he's only ever played defensive end. He has none of those uh, pre-inborn skills as like what he learned in high school about dropping into coverage and playing gaps from, from four yards off the line of scrimmage. All the stuff that it takes to be a linebacker. This is where we talk about Keon Wiley and what took him some time to adjust to the position. But Tony was a natural at it. He was a natural at and he looked really good dropping into coverage. His eyes were good. He still got beat a couple times. Like this is what I'm talking about. He still looked good. He still did a good job and he still gave up probably four catches in coverage. But that's the that's the reality of that position. This is more about tackling and and securing a guy rather than getting interceptions and pass breakups because it's just it's just impossible. Like I think that position is so hard. So he but he he got to a level where you could say, "Okay, well, Curtis Jacobs, Dom DeLuca, both those guys are going to play, but we can mix Tony Rojas into the conversation because he's now big enough and he showed that he's got the the inclination to play zone coverages and to not look out of place and not look awkward trying to turn and run. He was really good at turning and running in drills and during the blue-white game and all of those things that you want to see. So then it becomes like how much do you trust him and how much can you fold him into the defense? And that's going to be about your opponent and what they can do to attack weaknesses. And he might be perceived as a weakness as a freshman playing out there for the first time. You mentioned a name I'm curious about, and that's Keon Wiley. I had some expectations for him coming out of high school. Where is he at now? He, I thought he would be a little bit bigger, truthfully. You know, he was a guy that played defensive end and had to move to linebacker. So frame is not good enough to play on the line of scrimmage going forward into college, but uh, you would imagine it was big enough to put on weight and to play at a, at a, you know, a sizable Mike linebacker, maybe size, but that was not necessarily the case. He's around two fifteen under the two twenty threshold. He's a will at the moment. And I think he did some good things as a run defender. There's just still a, a lot to go for him in terms of, diagnosing coverages and, and, you know, playing with that anticipation we talked about. Um, that's, that's to me, he's a wild card and, and maybe, I don't want to call it weakness, but a gray area of how does that part of the depth chart work? Because functionally, you can have your starting Will linebacker be Abdul Carter and your backup be Curtis Jacobs. And the, you, you never get to Keon Wiley unless somebody's injured or you need to have uh, somebody come out of the game for two or three plays. You can have that, or you can have him be a third guy in the rotation that goes in every fourth series. That's a gray area for me about how they're going to use those guys and how he fits into how many shares he's earned of that position. The other name I'm curious about is Tamir Robinson. He's the other true freshman. Again, he uh, entered early, so he was there this spring. I had the thought he was injured late in his high school career, missed a lot of time. I just assumed this was a redshirt year. I was surprised. We saw him on the field 
in the blue-white game, and I th- I thought he did some good things. What were your impressions of Tamir Robinson? Yeah, I'm with you. I was surprised at how comfortable he looked. This is a player, again, we talk about skill set. The opposite of Tony, he came from safety and uh, started playing linebacker his junior season at Brashear. And then the knee injury hit before he really showed what he was capable of. There were flashes of it, but he was reading plays wrong. He was out of position. He was over-aggressive without really understanding the formation. But then you would see him do things that other guys just couldn't do from a length, size, and speed perspective and ability to cover ground. He's got like 34-inch arms so he can get into passing lanes. And he looked comfortable. He looked more comfortable and he looked more confident than I expected given um, how much learning he was doing. And you could visibly see him learning during practice when he, we had these open availabilities. And normally that does not give as smooth of a transi- transition to the actual playing surface. I still think he's a guy that's going to redshirt. I don't think they need to have him on the field. But I was more encouraged that maybe he could play four games and get some good experience more so than being a hard redshirt that doesn't see the field. I I think that was really encouraging this spring. Very good, T. Frank. That's got to be the last word. Thank you all for listening to the show. Make sure you join us next time on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Hey, guys. This is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love.